Batman. Dark Knight. Written by Lee Shapiro and Stephen Wise. Adapted by Tim Maxwell. It's another late night at Gotham State University for Dr. Kirk Langstrom. He's in his 30s, stocky, wearing a lab coat, his hair slicked back, his face unshaven. He walks into his office in the zoology building, carrying a canvas bag. His office is neat and modern. Adorned with a variety of instruments, chemicals, and caged, docile animals. The full moon shines through a large window. Kirk appends the canvas bag into an empty cage. A large bat falls out, fluttering into the confined space. Kirk sticks a finger between the bars to calm the occupant. The bat eyes the finger as it gets closer. Then bears its fangs. A dog suddenly jumps on Kirk, pushing him back from the cage just as the bat strikes. What the... Valerie... <sighs> Valerie wags her tail as Kirk turns and sees his wife, Francine. You're the only person she jumps on. Lucky me. You were in such a hurry to leave me again that you forgot something. Um, oh, my hearing aid. Thanks for remembering it. I was talking about a kiss. Kirk blows her a half-hearted kiss, then returns to his work. Francine begins to leave, sadness crossing her face. Deflated, she leashes Valerie and turns to leave. I guess a real one will have to wait. Kirk grabs her arm, stopping her. Francine, you gave me my hearing tonight. If successful, I can restore that and, and so much more to millions like me permanently. But you, especially, know I'm up for the same grant as my colleagues. I need you to be patient just a little longer. I'll wait up for you. Some time later, Kirk is still in his office. He rubs his eyes then speaks into a handheld recorder, his other hand holding up a syringe filled with a colored, thick liquid. In comparison to previous attempts, the latest mutagenic catalyst, batch KLMSE-13, specimen BAT, appears stable. The first step toward treating sensory impairment at the genetic level. The sensory deprived will be able to replace missing senses or enhance existing ones using animal genomes. All that remains is the test subject phase. Should the board choose my work for the Wayne Grant? It will be guilty of nepotism. A mysterious individual enters the room but shuts off the lights. Jonathan? Is that- Address me as Dr. Crane. Dr. Crane? You know this has nothing to do with Francine. She's abstaining from voting. And certainly not influencing any of the remaining board members. You're a man of science. Think rationally. 
the Board of Regents has always been impartial. They only select research which most benefits their bank accounts. I I'm afraid I don't have time for this. Afraid? You don't know the meaning of the word. Please, step into the light, Doctor. Deaf and blind as a bat? You have taken leave of your senses. <laughs> this isn't funny. A tall, lanky shape creeps up behind Kirk. His hand, a spider web of old scars, reaches out and grabs Kirk's shoulder. Boom! Happy Halloween! Goodness, Crane. Sometimes I, I think you're just as insane as your patients at Arkham. Kirk fixes his workstation, ignoring Jonathan, whose demeanor darkens. Hmm. <clears throat> Have I ever shown you my work, Doctor? No, and quite frankly, I'm not... <coughs> A cloud of gas erupts from Jonathan's outstretched arm, striking Kirk in the face, sending him stumbling backward, choking. <coughs> what in the world are you doing? Swapping one rat for another. <coughs> I'll kill you, Crane! There's the monster in you. <coughs> What's happening to me? <coughs> Please, help me! <coughs> I just did. Like a blind man, hands outstretched, Kirk shuffles through the mess, crunching glass underfoot. His face painted with fear. Meanwhile, Jonathan picks up Kirk's recorder and hits play. Should the board choose my work for the Wayne Grant? It will be guilty of nepotism. Oops. Let's delete that. <laughs> now, I'll see myself out. Oh, my condolences on your failure. <coughs> Come back, Crane! Come back! Jonathan leaves as Kirk slips and falls backwards against his table. His hand slams against more glass. He recoils, drawing his hand away. He looks at his hand and sees tiny shards of glass, multiple cuts, and colored, thick liquid, but it's not his blood. He smells the liquid, then dabs a small taste to his tongue. No. Oh no. Frantic, he searches the table. His eyesight returns as his veins swell throughout his body. His body writhes, then falls to the floor. After several spasms, Kirk grows still. Later that night, police sift through the debris of Kirk's office and place certain items into plastic evidence bags. Meanwhile, a young journalist for the college paper snaps pictures. Commissioner Gordon uses a pen to lift a hearing aid from the floor. That's Kirk's hearing aid? He was wearing it earlier. Mrs. Landstrom, there's really nothing more you can do here. Why don't you go home and get some rest? When can I collect Kirk's personal effects? Not until the case is closed, I'm afraid. Some say that the Batman was seen in this vicinity last night. Coincidence, Commissioner? There is no more Batman. Sir, I do wish you'd eat something. You must keep up your strength. I had hoped that the days of talking to you through doors had ended after adolescence. 
Alfred opens the door of the master suite in Wayne Manor to find that Bruce is nowhere to be found, until he looks to the balcony. Alfred sets the tray of food on the bed, then approaches the French doors to address Bruce Wayne, who is in his late thirties and remains in the shadows outside the balcony. Anxious to fly again? Flying's for animals, not men. I'm a man, not a monster. Is that it, sir? As I recall, you are a little of both. We all make our choices, Alfred. And I alone must deal with those consequences. You are correct, except for one thing. You are not alone. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> The following morning, Dr. Jonathan Crane teaches a class at Gotham State University. A slideshow projected onto a screen displays photos of test subjects being subjected to episodes of intense terror. Acute phobia disorder. The incapacitation of physical functionality due to both mental and emotional fixation on external stimuli that the subject deems scary. Consider the two possible responses to phobic-induced stimuli. We have already discussed flight, or fright as I like to call it, whereby a person simply flees from or succumbs to a horrific situation. Fight, however, is more interesting. Under the right circumstances, fear can empower an individual and produce amazing effects such as increased strength. Fear is eternal. You make it sound like being afraid is somehow positive. Isn't it? Whether it's your own augmented strength or the incapacitation of your adversary, fear can be a powerful, addictive... Weapon? Mr. Grayson, since you seem bent on making my lecture a debate, please stand so I can see you. Dick Grayson rises from his seat in the midst of the other students. He is in his early 20s with shoulder-length hair. How about some sense, Doc? Through systematic desensitization, one can face one's fears and overcome a potential impairment to a normal, healthy lifestyle. Excellent textbook recitation, but naive. Fear is a part of us. Rather than dismiss it as a weakness, we should reap its positive benefits. How? Scientific research, Mr. Grayson, through the use of test subjects. You're crazy if you believe anyone would volunteer for that. Is it crazy to expose the true nature, beauty, and power of fear? That sounds unorthodox at best and highly questionable at worst. What are you afraid of, Mr. Grayson? Nothing is so much to be feared as fear itself. Henry David Thoreau. Don't fear the Reaper, Blue Oyster Cult. Perhaps I have my first volunteer after all, Mr. Grayson. Dick Grayson pushes through the foot traffic of students and passes a stuffed scarecrow wearing rustic, tattered clothing that has been affixed to a pole in the middle of the grass. A sign pinned to the scarecrow's chest announces a school Halloween dance. A school newspaper blows across the lawn and presses up against the scarecrow's leg. Dick notices the word, Batman, peeking out from a crease. 
He picks up the newspaper and unfolds it to find a photo of Kirk Langstrom and the headline, Mysterious Disappearance, Is the Batman Responsible? Meanwhile, Dr. Jonathan Crane heads to the Dean's office. On his way he passes some of his colleagues who clearly show him no respect, in fact, they only gossip about him, poking fun at him and criticizing his methods and philosophies. And Dr. Crane is well aware of their disapproval, and it haunts him. It reminds him of his childhood and all the times he was bullied, laughed at, and called Ichabod, and Scaredy Cat. You know what you must do. Jonathan? I, I need your help again, Roger. Why don't you lie down, and we'll talk about it. Nighttime in Gotham has become a brood of fear. Man-Bat flies around, terrorizing people in the strangest ways. Sometimes protecting victims from thieves and criminals. Sometimes snatching pets as Kirk has no control over what he is doing. The following morning, at dawn, Francine gets an unexpected visitor. Down. Hello, Francine. Oh, Jonathan. Bit early for a visit, isn't it? What can I do for you? Why is my position being compromised? Excuse me? Why have I been summoned to present classified records of my experiments? The Board of Regents is merely following procedures. We are entitled to know everything about your facility's experiments, and your grant application left too many things unanswered. There is an issue of doctor-patient confidentiality. Not when it involves funding that the university and the government provide. I will not jeopardize my patient's privacy to satisfy bureaucrats. The Board is more concerned with your patient's well-being than their privacy. I'm not the only one with controversial experiments, Mrs. Langstrom. Need I remind you of your late husband's work? Don't you dare bring Kirk into this! And for your information, Professor, Kirk is only missing, not dead. You know what you must do. Wayne Residence. Hail. Hello, young sir. To what do we owe the privilege of this call? Surely you're not out of money already. Money? No. Patience? Yes. Will you be honoring us with your presence this weekend? Well, that's not really up to me, is it? Especially with Bruce flying solo these days. I'm not sure I understand your meaning. Apparently you haven't been following the news. As typical, the media is full of rubbish. Okay, so when do we suit up and investigate the Langstrom disappearance and this bat-like creature? I'm afraid I don't hold the power to answer that. Would you care to speak to the one who does? Thanks just the same, but I know where the conversation will lead. Meanwhile, Bruce is in his office, sitting in a comfortable executive chair positioned behind an immaculate antique wooden desk. 
His back is to a large screen monitor with a webcam mounted above it. On the monitor is a group of executives at a conference table. And none look pleased. A Wayne Enterprises logo hangs on the wall behind them. I know where this conversation is leading. We've been there before, ladies and gentlemen. But sir, with all due respect, this is your company. Yes, but I hired you to run it for me. Please, see that's what you do. Mr. Wayne, I really must... I think we've covered everything for now. I'll talk to you again, when time permits. The screen goes dark as Bruce swivels in his chair, as if allowing himself to come out of hiding now that the executives are gone. He is weary and despondent. A picture of himself and Dick captures his gaze and he reminisces on a memory of their crime-fighting days together. Fully costumed and ready for action, Robin drops down in front of the criminal. The thug lunges at the young hero with a switchblade, but Robin flips him over the edge of the bridge. The criminal plummets head first. A cable wraps around his legs, catching him mid-air, leaving him swinging there. On the edge of the bridge, Robin holds the other end of the cable and secures it to the structure as a large shape passes overhead. Psst. About time. Batman emerges from the shadows and peers over the edge, looking down at the criminal. You could have killed him. Yeah, at least I was here. The tense moment is broken up by the bat signal, which illuminates the sky in the distance. Are you gonna get that, or should I? Robin then shoots his grappling hook and swings away. It never ends. Batman follows his partner's lead into the dark night. Meanwhile, Dr. Jonathan Crane meets with Dean Roger Hollowell about the status of the application for the Wayne Grant. What is the meaning of this? This is unfortunate, I'll admit. But did you really expect otherwise? I expected you to defend me from such trumped-up libel. Now, they're after my position at Arkham as well. First off, no one's after your position. These investigations are merely a formality intended to justify certain funding to the government. When you're in the private sector... I won't have my work scrutinized or compromised by bureaucratic penny-pinchers. If they feel my research is unjustified... They just don't understand it. Or you. Like I do. But would you care to explain why Mrs. Landstrom nearly lodged a personal complaint against you this morning? What? I talked her out of it. But I shouldn't have to tell you that it's inappropriate to discuss the issue at her personal residence, especially with all she's going through right now. Her emotional distress over her husband is not my concern. My work is my life. I understand that, Jonathan, and I'll do everything in my power to further it. But you need to tone it down a bit. We both know you're prone to taking things to extremes. I need you in my corner, Roger. No one else is. Don't be paranoid. Everyone isn't against you. But self-fulfilling prophecies have a way of coming true. Promise me you won't bother Mrs. Landstrom anymore, and that you'll comply with the board's inquiries. I promise. Hey, I'm your boss, your therapist, and your friend. I'll always be here for you. Jonathan begins to leave the office, and pauses at the door, his back to Roger. We'll see.
Bruce once again stands on his balcony at Wayne Manor. He leans against the railing and stares toward the distant Gotham skyline. His dismal demeanor remains unchanged. Will you be taking all your meals out here, sir? The city looks too peaceful from here, as if nothing were wrong. Who are you trying to convince? Speak your mind, Alfred. Trouble doesn't simply disappear because Batman is no longer around. Some say Batman's the source of the trouble, that he invites more crime than he prevents. Batman exists due to crime, not the contrary. You have a responsibility to uphold. To whom? To the citizens of Gotham, to your late parents, to Master Dick. Most importantly, to yourself. No one can afford to wait while you brood over yet another problem in your life. If I may be so bold, perhaps retiring Batman was a mistake. It is, after all, who you are. Being Batman was a choice, as was my decision to hang up the cowl and cape. Bruce Wayne deserves a life, too. You call this living? You neglect your business, you abandon all social functions, and Master Dick believes that you want nothing more to do with him. Frankly, the mood in this household has become rather funereal again. Batman will always be a part of me, but that part of my life will remain down there, buried for the time being. As you wish, sir, but not all caves exist underground. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson is at the gymnasium at Gotham State University. He performs a number of amazing acrobatic feats, pushing himself to the limit. He lands on the mat and heads for a nearby bench. He grabs a towel and mops the sweat from his face. He somberly reflects on the last time he was in the Batcave. I want more for you than this. You need to discover who Dick Grayson is, apart from Robin. I know who I am. How can you? This is the only life you've known outside the circus. We're not here to entertain the crowds. This is the life I've chosen. Are you sure it didn't choose you? You need time away from here. Away from me. Away from this life. You've been trying to get rid of me ever since we met. You don't want me to be like you. You're right. I want you to be better. So, Batman will once again fly solo? No. As of tonight, Batman will not fly at all. As the flashback ends, Dick tries his best to shake the painful memories away and exits the gym. In the distance, Dr. Jonathan Crane secretly watches him like a menacing stalker before leaving as well. He is headed to Arkham Asylum to continue his work, using helpless patients as his test subjects in his wicked experiments. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson walks through the front door of Wayne Manor, a seemingly deserted home. Hello? Anyone home? Ah, Master Dick. Our wandering scholar has returned. How is collegiate life these days? Oh, crazed professors, impractical assignments, unrealistic hopes, pretty much the same. Can I get you anything? 
Something to eat? A beverage? Perhaps an appointment with Master Bruce? Is he here, Alfred? No, I'm happy to say he is not. He went out a while ago. As whom? Put your mind at ease, young sir. Batman is still in retirement. Well, then I'll be heading back to campus. There's a party with my name on it. I recall no tether binding Robin to Batman, or Dick Grayson to Bruce Wayne. Don't let the inactivity of one stifle the other. Bruce sent me away to find out who I am, but instead I'm losing everything I was. Unpleasant experiences often prove the better teachers. Maybe. I just don't think I'm ready to fly solo. Meanwhile, Bruce walks down the sidewalk lost in thought. Emergency lights and commotion attract his attention. A sizable crowd surrounds the entrance to the alley. Commissioner Gordon escorts a nearly catatonic woman into a squad car while other police curtail the reporters who snap pictures and wave mics. Can you comment on the latest victim? Why are the police powerless to do anything? Are we looking at a siege on Gotham, Commissioner? What about the rumors that this is the work of the Batman? Those rumors are unsubstantiated and downright scandalous. Later that night, the alley crime scene plays on a large TV in Bruce's living room. Fear has once again returned to the citizens of Gotham. The question remains, is this the work of the Dark Knight? Bruce shuts the TV off as Alfred enters behind him. I see Batman is a celebrity again. Isn't that what you were trying to avoid? The myth of Batman was better than my actions alone. Fear used to be my greatest weapon in the fight against crime. Perhaps. But not only do the criminals fear you, so do the citizens you swore to protect. What matters is that the innocent are in danger. There are still monsters out there. I'm afraid it will always be so. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Bruce turns his face to Alfred as he knows exactly what he is implying. Bruce's expression gives way to a look of helpless agreement. A short time later, deep in the Batcave, lights come on in a vault revealing a simple, stylish, utilitarian uniform of the Dark Knight. Bats flutter in the distance as Bruce Wayne steps into the vault and grabs the suit. Meanwhile, Jonathan Crane conducts more of his wicked experiments at Arkham Asylum. His test subject is a patient named Jay, clad in a straight jacket in a padded cell. Jay struggles with his bonds, and paces violently through the cell. Jonathan inhales, reveling in Jay's anguish, but keeping his distance. Fear? A weakness? Congratulations, Jay. You've earned a break. Soon you will be ready to sow what you have reaped for so long. But for now, your particular contributions have reached their limit. From his pocket, he pulls out a flyer about the university Halloween party. Every experiment needs a control group. Later that night, the shape of a man-sized bat soars through the moon-illuminated clouds. It emerges from the cloud bank, revealing a specialized glider guided by Batman. Batman scans the skies, but there is only clouds and silence. 
As Batman passes over another cloud bank, the moon casts his shadow beneath him. He leaves the clouds behind, yet the shadow follows. The Dark Knight angles the glider toward Gotham's skyline as the shadow veers off in another direction. The glider maneuvers around city structures and a huge shape comes up from beneath him and darts by in a blur, startling Batman, who pilots the glider toward open spaces. The shape whips by again, this time, shredding a portion of the glider. Batman struggles to control the damaged glider as the mysterious shape vanishes. The struggling hero hits a button on the glider's control panel as twin streams of smoke emit from the wingtips and expand to fill the space between the buildings. Batman then steers the glider back into the smoke bank and presses another button on the control panel. Sonar mode activated. The radar screen changes into a virtual representation of the structures around the glider. Through swirls of smoke, Batman sees the faint shape moving around him. Eventually, it disappears. The glider then lurches downward. A winged claw rips through the glider and grabs Batman around the neck. Batman flinches and rolls the glider. The claw vanishes as the hitchhiker spills off. The glider soars out of the dissipating smoke. Batman glances over his shoulder, examining the hole above him as a fanged set of jaws appears and hisses. As the glider heads for a rooftop, the Dark Knight presses another button on the control panel. His harness detaches as the glider continues its accelerated descent and rams a nearby building. An inhuman cry pierces the air as the glider crumbles and falls to the street below. Meanwhile, Batman drops the short distance to the rooftop, using his cape as a makeshift parachute. He hits the ground and rolls to a stop. He releases his harness and approaches the rooftop's edge and as he nears, the shape rises and flies over him. Batman spins and is shocked to see, Man-Bat, a human-bat hybrid, wearing tattered clothing. Man-Bat spreads his impressive wings and hisses as he paces Batman, who retrieves a batarang from his belt. With a squeal, Man-Bat is upon him. The batarang flies from Batman's hand and flies over the building's edge. Batman's training proves little match for Man-Bat's ferocity. For every blow the hero lands, his costume suffers twice as much. His counterattacks only further enrage the beast. Batman removes an item from his belt that pops in a brilliant flash of light, blinding Man-Bat. Taking advantage of the situation, Batman moves to subdue the beast, but the creature knocks him aside without looking. The Dark Knight smacks into the emergency broadcast siren tower and falls to the rooftop, stunned. A wire comes loose and sparks wildly. The beast approaches, flailing his claws in front of him, still blinded. He passes Batman, who leaps up and flies toward Man-Bat's back. The creature's ears sense the movement and he spins, grabbing Batman by the neck, choking him. He slams him into the tower again while holding him aloft. He bares his fangs and moves in for a bite, but Batman grabs the loose wire and presses it into Man-Bat, shocking the creature and ejecting him backwards. The caped crusader tears into the siren's control box and tampers with the wire. The siren wails to life. Batman holds his ears, but the noise repels Man-Bat. A human-like squeal erupts from his mouth as he drops over the edge. Batman disables the siren, nurses his wounds and runs to the edge, but there is no sign of Man-Bat.
Spectators gawk at him from nearby windows as he disappears into the shadows. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson sidesteps through the crowd of the Halloween dance at Gotham University. The party is in full swing as the band plays, music blaring, decorations billowing. Costumed students dance, drink, laugh and chat. Dick stands out like a sore thumb in the sea of disguise. Across the room he notices that someone has donned the scarecrow costume from the courtyard and stands inert, staring at Dick. He tries to keep his eyes on the scarecrow, but the crowd obscures his view. He makes his way through the dense crowd, scanning the party-goers. He catches sight of the scarecrow and begins pursuing him, but again loses him in the throng of colorful costumes. Dick finally reaches a side wall and flinches in pain, grabbing the back of his neck. He removes a strand of straw with his blood on its sharp end. Puzzled, he spins around to locate the culprit. A couple of people disappear before his eyes. No one seems to notice except him. More people vanish. And none of the party goers seem to care. What's going on? What's happening? Where's everyone going? More people disappear. The music stops. The band is gone. The random vanishings quicken. Panicked, Dick spins in circles and starts running to and from. The Scarecrow saunters toward Dick. Dick executes an impressive kick that flattens the Scarecrow. He straddles the seemingly lifeless body of the Scarecrow, rips the mask away, revealing John Grayson, unconscious. Dad? Dad! Dick tries to revive him. John Grayson is now wearing attire appropriate for a circus acrobat. The body then decays in Dick's arms, leaving a costumed skeleton. No! Don't leave me again! Suddenly, several scarecrows surround him as the room darkens. Still beset by the nightmare, Dick squirms and swings his arms. In reality, partygoers try to help him, unaware of the nightmare he is seeing. Two security guards then rush in and subdue him. Dick screams as the guards pull him away. Meanwhile, inside the Batcave, Batman's shredded cape lands across a desktop. Bruce, in portions of the Batsuit, but without the cowl, collapses into a chair, removing more of his torn suit, revealing numerous injuries as Alfred descends the distant stairs. Why am I doing this again? I thought I was still cut out. Not only didn't I prevent that thing's escape, I'm no closer to knowing what it is. And now, thanks to me, it's hurt and mad. I do fear there's more bad news. It seems Master Dick has been committed to Arkham Asylum. It's just up here, Mr. Wayne. But you needn't worry, your ward is in the best hands here at Arkham. He shouldn't be here at all, Dr. Burton. 
I'm afraid that's my doing. And you are. Bruce Wayne, meet Dr. Jonathan Crane, resident staff psychologist. Mr. Grayson is under his supervision. Ah, Bruce Wayne, the young man's guardian. Your continuing support of this institution is most appreciated, though one wonders why you do it. There are some things better kept locked away. There's nothing to be afraid of here. I want to see him, Doctor. I'll let you two be. Let me know if there's anything else you require, Mr. Wayne. You are one of Dick's professors? Yes, he's spoken of me. Only in passing. You have some interesting theories. Under different circumstances, I might discuss your phobia philosophy with you. I take it you're acquainted with fear? A little. Ah, here we are. I must advise you to restrict your actions. Jonathan unlocks the door and they both enter the cell. Bruce's face immediately becomes downcast. What's wrong with him, Doctor? That's what we intend to find out. Apparently, he suffered a complete breakdown complicated by possible stimulant ingestion. Drugs? Don't look so shocked. It's not unusual for a boy his age to experiment, especially amidst the collegiate environment. Witnesses say he kept shouting, don't leave me. Does he have any abandonment issues you are aware of? If I'm not mistaken, the young man lost his parents around this time of year, didn't he? He should be at home. That's neither possible nor advised. In his current state, he's a danger to himself and, and, and everyone around him. He managed to upset a good amount of school property and even injure some of the security guards. It took a lot to restrain him. I'll make amends for any damage done, but want him out of here immediately. I'm afraid this is one instance where your money won't help you, Mr. Wayne. I have the legal right to hold him here until I say it's fit to leave. We'll see about that, Doctor. I'm sorry to say he's right, Bruce. There's nothing I can do except try to discover what happened here. But Arkham's for the criminally insane. He doesn't belong in there. Professor Crane felt it best he personally treat him. Since he was the first physician to respond in his residencies at Arkham, it was his decision to make. I won't allow that. Why don't you talk to Dean Hallowell? He's head of the psychology department and a personal friend of Professor Crane. Maybe he can help. Do you have any leads? Not much. We're examining the punch. But since no one else has experienced similar symptoms, it's probably a dead end. The other students weren't much help either. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate your efforts. Please keep me informed. Of course. We could use the help. This is the second time I've been called here this week. The Langstrom disappearance. Any parallels? Maybe. Between this school and those mysterious sightings in the city, I'm definitely earning my salary. I just wish I knew Batman would come running if we relit the signal. Excuse me, Commissioner. You'll have to excuse me, Bruce. Duty calls. And Bruce, trying to get some rest. I've rested long enough. Bruce starts out but spots something on the floor. He picks up a solitary strand of straw with his handkerchief. He brings it close, examining it and noticing a dab of blood on the end. 
Have you been at it all night, sir? First, you reprimand me for not working. Now you're on my case about working too much? There is such a thing as a happy medium. Never been my strong suit. Indeed. Are you any closer to a solution? There's a residue on this straw that stimulates the human limbic system, specifically the amygdala. If I recall my anatomy lessons correctly, that portion of the brain deals with memories and emotions related to survival. This compound seems to induce the release of norepinephrine, a very concentrated release. Which is related to anxiety. And in extreme cases, phobia. It's also how many animals sense fear in humans. They smell it. Are you going to take this new evidence to the police? Not yet. They have their hands full. Plus, I've discovered two more things that makes this a bit more personal. There's a hallucinogen combined with the fear agent. And the other thing? Dick's blood. Didn't Master Dick mention one of his professors who... Dr. Jonathan Crane. Alfred, arrange an appointment with Dean Hallowell at the university. At once. And Bruce, it's good to have you back. Pheromones. Pheromones? No, pheromones. Silly, I know, but that's what Dr. Crane called it. His work involved the artificial stimulation of the brain's fear centers. But I didn't realize he was this far along. It's an incredible piece of work. If what you say is true, he's abusing his position and his oath. I've known Jonathan for quite some time. He has his faults. But this, this isn't him. Maybe someone stole his work and is using it to frame him. Who would have the knowledge and wherewithal to do that? No one. I'm just grasping at straws. No pun intended. Dean, I know how hard this must be for you, but... Do you, Mr. Wayne? Have you ever had to betray a friend? Abandon someone who trusts and needs you? There's a friend of mine in need right now because of Professor Crane. His safety, perhaps his very life, depends on you helping me. You understand, I can't divulge private information to you. However, you have my word that I will surrender the necessary records to the review board. I'll also see about getting Mr. Grayson released in your care. Thank you for your help, Dean Hallowell. Mr. Wayne, you'll be instrumental in Mr. Grayson's recovery. Probably more so than any psychiatrist. As Bruce exits through a hallway at Gotham State University, he passes Francine Langstrom, who does a double take as she recognizes him. Excuse me, Bruce Wayne? Last time I checked. Cute. I just want to thank you for graciously diverting the attention of the police away from more important matters. I'm sorry. I don't quite understand. Did you, or did you not, redirect the police department's resources to search for clues as to how a college party got a little wild? While we appreciate how earth-shattering that is, it doesn't help find my husband. You must be Francine Langstrom. Oh, you are aware of my case. So using your influence on Commissioner Gordon was willful disregard? I suppose a man of your means can get whatever he wants, no matter who he hurts. 
I think you're misinterpreting my actions. Did your husband have any dealing with Dr. Crane by any chance? They were up for the same research grant. A competitor of his goes missing, leaving behind a trashed lab. One of his students, who has a habit of challenging him in class, has a psychotic break and is now locked up in Arkham Asylum. Coincidence? I... I didn't know. Here's my card. For what it's worth, I hope they find your husband soon, alive and unharmed. Meanwhile, Dick is in a cell in Arkham Asylum. He uses his wit and strength to break free from his straitjacket. The metal door to his cell swings open and an orderly enters, prepping a syringe. Before the orderly can notice anything amiss, Dick springs at him and wraps the straitjacket around his neck from behind, and drops him to the floor unconscious. Dick then sprints out of his cell and down the corridor. He is soon blocked by two orderlies, both of whom hulk over him. They grab at him, but he is too quick and agile to be taken easy. He spins, leveling one of the orderlies. The other one puts up a better fight, but Dick takes him down as well. Dick retrieves a set of keys from one of the orderlies and immediately unlocks the door at the end of the corridor. However, before he can escape, several security guards burst through and seize him. He continues to put up a fight, but they overpower him and proceed to beat him with their nightsticks. That is all, gentlemen. We don't want to mistreat our patients now, do we? A short time later, Dick is shackled in his cell as Jonathan Crane enters with a loaded mobile cart. Naughty naughty, you're supposed to be an exemplary patient. In other words, I plan to make an example out of you. If I wasn't so drugged up, your goons wouldn't have taken me down so easily. And you wouldn't be standing there either. So brave. It seems circumstances dictate the acceleration of your treatment. What was it you said in class? Something about facing one's fears? Crane holds up a pressurized canister and twists the valve. A gaseous cloud sprays out and envelopes Dick, who gasps painfully as terror overcomes him. Don't worry, I owe you extra credit. Pedestrians huddle in front of a store window in which all the TVs display the local news. Manbat crouches in the darkness across the street, listening. In other news, police still have no leads in the search for missing Gotham State University professor Kirk Langstrom. When questioned, this is what Gotham Police Commissioner James Gordon had to say. Unfortunately, our manpower is stretched to the limits. However, we will use every resource available to find Dr. Langstrom. Dr. Langstrom's wife, Francine Langstrom, sits on the university's Board of Regents. She was unavailable for comment. Best wishes, Professor Langstrom, wherever you are. 
Meanwhile, in the University Assembly Room, the Board of Regents gather to judge Dr. Jonathan Crane for his unbecoming behavior as a doctor and a professor. Among the members are Francine Langstrom, Dean Hollowell, and Dr. Burton. After brief deliberation, one of the regents delivers the verdict to Crane. It is unanimous. Dr. Crane, you are hereby relieved of your professorship and any benefits commensurate with said title. Furthermore, your services at Arkham Asylum will discontinue from this moment forth, and your patients shall be relegated to the care of another. Fortunately, this panel will not file criminal charges based in part on your years of service and Dean Hallowell's personal testimony. Do you have anything to say on your behalf? Dr. Jonathan Crane remains silent, though deep inside he burns with anger and resentment as he slowly scans the Board of Regents, with his final gaze landing on Dean Hollowell as he gives him an obvious look of disappointment. Dick Grayson is back home in Wayne Manor. He sits in his bed, staring at a photo. It's a photo of the Flying Graysons, dressed in circus acrobat attire, with a young Dick Grayson by their side. Tears glide down his face as he looks at the picture. Yeah? Just thought I'd check up on you. See if there's anything you need. No, I'm fine. I'm here for you, if you want to talk. Are you? Maybe I shouldn't have sent you away. I'm... I'm sorry. Don't be. The man who's responsible has been taken care of. Crane simply exposed your fears. He's not the cause of them. Later that night, the full moon shines in the sky over Gotham City. Manbat flies through the air, listening, hunting. Another defeat. The overall extraction and binding procedure was successful, yet isolating the DNA strand specific to senses appears insurmountable. Through the window of their home, Manbat can see Francine sitting on her bed, next to her is the box of Kirk's personal effects. She listens to filtered voices from a digital recorder. Their dog Valerie lies beside her. Manbat perches in a tree near the second-story balcony outside the bedroom. He listens and watches. I have to crack this. I don't know how much longer my marriage will last with me focusing on nothing but my research. And if I fail, my hearing is getting worse by the day, and before long, even the hearing aids will not help. How can Francine love half a man? Manbat looks in with sorrow in his eyes, then flies away, in sadness. This is Bruce. I'm sorry to bother you at this time of night, Mr. Wayne. This is Francine Langstrom. It's no imposition. What can I do for you? I want to apologize about how I treated you at the university. I wasn't fair to you. Under the circumstance, it's understandable. I don't know if you heard, but at the hearing today, Crane was fired from both the university and Arkham. I'm a little concerned on how he'll take it. The man is unstable. Have you discussed this with the police? They know my feelings about him. I'm certain he's responsible for Kirk's disappearance. I just can't prove it. Let me see if I can use my influence on Commissioner Gordon and get to the bottom of this. A man of my means can sometimes get what I want. I suppose I deserved that, but thank you. 
A short time later, Batman emerges from the costume vault within the Batcave. I take it this involves that deplorable Dr. Crane. I think it's time I pay a visit to a psychiatrist. The irony of that statement does not escape me. Do you expect trouble from Crane? I hope not. But I have a feeling I may need to prescribe a little fear myself. Just what the doctor ordered. Robin, I think it's a bit too soon for this. Don't push me away this time. I need to see Crane get what he deserves. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, let's move. Do come back in one piece this time. Inside Jonathan Crane's lab, he reminisces on a childhood memory. He remembers running into his barn, trying to escape the other kids. They were so mean, so terrible. They called him names. Jonathan remembers hiding in a stall inside the barn as the kids were approaching him. Then his dad came. You boys got no business here. Scram, get out, go. He brandished a menacing pitchfork as the terrified boys fled the barn. Mr. Crane, Jonathan's dad, approached his son's hiding place. Jonathan remembers peering up at his father, who seemed impossibly tall. Boy, you can't let people terrorize you your whole life. Jonathan remembers his dad thrusting his pitchfork into the ground. His young eyes stare at the farm tool and a smile crosses his face. And even now, he smiles. You know what you must do. I know what I must do. I know what I must do. Jonathan then dons a mask, completing his costume and becoming Scarecrow. The shadow of a familiar, bat-like cowl appears in the skylight's reflection against the floor. Out of retirement for me? I'm honored and ready. He turns to face the skylight when Manbat crashes through, wings spread, and lands upright on the floor in front of Scarecrow. What in the world are you? Manbat lifts Scarecrow and tosses him across the room, sending him crashing into the wall like a limp, lanky sap. The beast approaches like a predator as Scarecrow backs toward a fire emergency box on the wall. He tosses a stool at Manbat, who knocks it aside. Using the distraction, Scarecrow breaks the glass box of the fire emergency box and removes the axe from within. As he turns to swing, Manbat is upon him, stopping the axe in mid-swing. The two opponents grapple with the axe between them. Scarecrow releases his grip as Manbat gains the upper hand. Scarecrow yanks a solitary strand of straw from the cuff of his other hand and launches it toward Manbat. The straw embeds itself in Manbat's chest, causing him to squeal. He steps back, snaps the axe in two, and drops it. Enjoy the show! Unaffected by the toxin, Manbat removes the straw from his chest and drops it and launches for Scarecrow, slashing him across the face with his ghastly claws. Collapsing to the floor, Scarecrow hides his face with his hands, but makes no indication of any pain. Manbat is about to go in for the kill when Scarecrow morphs into Francine. 
She lowers her hands from her face and stares into Manbat's eyes, ashamed and sad. What have you done, Kirk? You're killing me! Manbat pauses, he's completely stunned. Then, suddenly, a batarang wraps around Manbat's arm and holds it from striking. Batman struggles with the batarang's line, pulling it tight. Meanwhile, Scarecrow scrambles away, hiding behind a table. Robin then shoots another cable around Manbat. However, the powerful beast pulls Robin's line, sending the boy wonder hurling toward him. However, Robin performs an impressive flip just out of Manbat's reach. Robin, check on Crane, I've got this. Robin does just that, maneuvering toward Scarecrow's last resting spot. He lands on the tabletop closest to Scarecrow, who lies in the shadows behind some furniture. Alright Crane, it's someone else's turn to play doctor. Scarecrow darts upright, hands outstretched toward Robin. At the sight of the menacing villain, Robin freezes in terror. He remembers the night of the college party, as he momentarily envisions the sight of Scarecrow striding through the crowd of students. Meanwhile, Manbat slashes the Batarang line with his free claw and assumes a pouncing position. Batman stumbles as the tension disappears. The two bats square off as a brutal battle ensues. Batman's costume suffers the brunt of the attack as Manbat gains the upper hand and pins Batman to the wall by the neck. The beast moves in, teeth bared, dripping saliva. But then suddenly, Batman morphs into Francine and gives Manbat the same sad stare as before. What have you become? You're not my husband. You're a monster. Batman takes the lapse in Manbat's assault as an opportunity to retaliate. He removes an object from his belt and flings it toward Manbat. It strikes him in the chest and explodes in a shower of sparks. The beast drops Batman, then regains his senses. Meanwhile, Robin is crawling backward, refusing to take his terrified eyes off of the shadows where Scarecrow landed. He turns to see Batman lying in a mess that used to be Jonathan's equipment. Batman collects himself and stumbles out of the expanding gas cloud coming from the broken containers. The hero stumbles through the lab. He stares at his hands as one of his gloved hands dissolves away, followed by the other. They reveal old, withered hands. Robin moves closer to his partner, but Man-Bat blocks his path as Batman pulls himself up to a sink with a mirror. In the mirror, the reflection's cowl disintegrates, revealing an older, decrepit Bruce Wayne. No! Meanwhile, Man-Bat hovers over a terrified Robin, who also morphs into Francine. Who are you really trying to kill? Startled, Manbat springs back, knocking into another table and upsetting the burners, and then a fire erupts. The massive beast squeals and takes off and soars through the broken skylight. The room sprinkler system engages, extinguishing the flames and dissipating the gas. Robin approaches Batman, who leans against a wall as he shakes off the effects of the gas. Are you alright? Don't worry about me. What was that thing? No clue, but I intend to find out. What about Crane? Robin doesn't answer or move. Batman spots his partner's hesitation and moves past him to Scarecrow's final resting spot, only to find it empty.
A short time later, Bruce and Dick remain in their battle-weary costumes inside the Batcave. What happened to you back there? I... I don't know. What about you? You took a hit of that gas. Are you okay? I'm fine. Is that meant to convince me or yourself? I said I'm fine. I went through it too, remember? What did you see? The effects disappeared when the water dissipated the gas. Why are you always pushing me away? Now's not the time. We have work to do. Fine. Whatever. If the gas is simply a variation of the pheromone syrup, it also affects the limbic system, which has a direct connection to... The sense of smell. Now he can affect large groups of people at one time. No hospitals report admitting any patient with severe facial lacerations. No one could endure that much pain. Assuming he survived, he won't be hard to recognize. Meanwhile, over in the Langstrom residence, Francine lies in bed, staring at a framed picture of Kirk and herself in happier times. At the foot of the bed, Valerie's ears perk up. She faces the balcony and growls. What is it, girl? The dog jumps to the floor and barks at the glass doors. Worried, Francine pulls a robe on, goes to the doors and opens them. She steps out onto her balcony. What's out there? What do you see? Francie. Who's that? Who are you? Don't be scared, Francie. In one swift movement, Manbat emerges from a tree and lands before her on the balcony. Francine screams and runs back into the room, pulling Valerie with her. Manbat follows her, Francine backing up as Valerie barks with excitement. Go away! Whatever you are, go away! Manbat then blows her a kiss as Kirk had done. She gasps. Oh my gosh, Kirk? Valerie escapes Francine's grasp, runs to Manbat, and jumps on him, tail wagging, just like she always does to Kirk. I'm home. Francine approaches him. Her fear now replaced with astonishment. What happened to you? Meanwhile, Scarecrow steps out from the candlelit barn and into the dark farmyard. He is nothing more than a billowing, lanky silhouette with a gauze-shrouded face. An absolutely terrifying image. He walks across the yard and stops at the old wooden fence that borders miles of dried, dead corn. In the distance, a green haze shrouds Gotham City. The villain spreads his arms and a crow lands on his outstretched arm. Nestled among dead leaves sits a simple headstone. On it are the names Jonathan and Mary Grayson. Their grieving son, Dick Grayson, stands before the grave. I wish you all were here with me. I wish I could have prevented this. I don't know who I am anymore. I thought I could lose myself in something and the pain would go away. It's not working. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of everything it seems and I don't know what's happening to me I want my life back I want myself back I don't know who I am anymore 
I feel so lost and alone. The chirp of a bird draws his attention. It lands atop the gravestone, a red robin. I've encountered that creature twice now, and I'm still no closer to figuring out what it is. What possible connection could it have to the university? Going home to roost, perhaps? It's a bit large for a lab animal. Maybe. But what about a lab experiment? Who could have created such a thing? We still have a missing biogeneticist on our hands. One who researched genetic engineering with animals. Are you suggesting this creature is Dr. Langstrom? It is man-sized and displays intelligence. Why would he go after Crane? Personal vendetta? What if Crane was responsible for this transformation? Crane has proven to be a rather unstable character. Langstrom went after Crane for retribution. It's only logical where he'll go next. We can fix this, Kirk. I'm a failure. Wasn't supposed to happen. We will get through this. Needs to die. Crane. Never thought a man could hate like this. But I'm not a man. Don't say that. You're still Kirk Langstrom. You still have his mind and his heart. This is what I am, Frenzy. Kirk. Listen to me. I love you. How can you love a monster? You're not a monster. Like it or not, Kirk Langstrom is dead. Jonathan Crane killed him. And I crave his blood. He goes to the glass doors, spreads his wings, and lets out a cry. Don't turn your back on me. Not again. If you fly out that door and give in to this thing, then Kirk is really dead. Just wanted to help others. You're in such a hurry to leave me again, you're forgetting something. A very human expression crosses his animal face. He touches his ear where he normally wears his hearing aid. I can be your hands. Let's make this right, together. Frenzy, I love you with whatever heart beats inside me. Meanwhile, back at Gotham University, Dean Hollowell gets an unexpected visitor in his office. Hello, Roger. Jonathan, is that you? I'm ready for our final session. I know you're upset about the results of the hearing. You are my friend, Roger. I trusted you. I'm sorry, Jonathan. There was nothing I could do. I defended you as best I could, but I was outnumbered. You gotta believe me. Oh, but I don't believe you. I think you betrayed me. You took advantage of your confidentiality to have me removed. You conspire to end my research and protect your position. Jonathan, you're scaring me. You don't know the meaning of the word. 
but you will. Jonathan Crane leans into the light, which completely reveals his new appearance. A lattice of loose, blood-stained gauze covers his flesh, leaving few areas exposed, such as an eye in his mouth. He is like a living scarecrow. Boo! You're insane. Is that your professional opinion? What do you want? To continue my research. Scarecrow draws a straw from his sleeve and flicks it at Roger's throat. Roger gasps and pulls the straw from his flesh, puzzled. What in the world? Within moments, the Scarecrow's toxin overwhelms Dean Hollowell, sending him into a flurry of delusion and panic. Scarecrow inhales deeply and enjoys the show. The dose is so concentrated it's lethal, slowly but surely killing Roger. Meanwhile, on the tallest peak, Robin scans the campus using night vision goggles. Through the window to Dean Hollowell's office, Roger's shape passes back and forth, flailing frantically. Robin is immediately on alert. He shoots his grappling hook to secure the cable, then swings to the roof. He quickly makes his way to the Dean's office, and when he finally makes it, he's too late. Roger's body lies lifeless on the floor. Back in Kirk Langstrom's lab at Gotham University, Francine mixes chemicals in an effort to reverse Manbat's transformation. This is it. Manbat offers his arm to her, she swabs it with alcohol, then injects the concoction into him. He closes his eyes, waiting for a reaction. But nothing happens. Didn't work. Give it time. Initial transformation was immediate. You can't give up. Maybe the next batch. No! No next batch! Crane took everything from me! No, not everything. Doesn't matter. I'm condemned to this existence. You found this strand of straw in his office? Yep. That means Crane is definitely alive, and extremely dangerous. You didn't see him? No. I want you to research Crane's background. Dig up everything you can on him. Job history, psychological profiles, anything that- I already have. Everything's on this flash drive. I got it from Hollowell's office. We'll have to break the encryption. Don't give it to me. It's your case, detective. Back in the Langstrom residence, Francine stares up at the night sky when suddenly a voice looms from the roof in the shadows. Expecting someone? I thought you had retired. As far as everyone's concerned, I have. Why are you here? You may be in danger. How? Have you had contact with your husband since his disappearance? What? No, of course not. I have reason to believe he may be the victim of his own experiments. If I'm right, he's a danger to himself, to Gotham, and to you. He would never hurt me. Can you be sure? Mrs. Langstrom, if you know where Kirk is, please, I need your help, and so does he. A short time later, Francine leads Batman to the university clock tower. She opens a trap door, revealing Man Bat, hanging upside down. His eyes flick open. Francine? What? You brought the Batman? 
Kirk, no! Leave me alone. You fight criminals. I'm no criminal. I'm not here to fight, Dr. Langstrom. I'm sorry, Kirk, but he needs to talk to you. No more talk! It's important, please? For me. Jonathan Crane murdered Dean Hallowell this evening. I need to know why you attacked Crane. Did he do this to you? Hallowell's death is on your hands. If you hadn't stopped me, I would have killed Crane. He needs to be helped, like you. I am beyond help. He's here for you, Kirk. Maybe together you can find a way to reverse this. No, we already tried and failed. There is no cure. Give him a chance. Maybe I enjoy the new me. If you think your appearance will justify your actions, you're wrong. You can't hide behind that. You're a freak because you choose to be. I can't remove my mask. You're only a monster if you allow it. You have a choice. But if you give in to hatred and revenge, you really will become a monster. Get out of here. I used to believe that if I were feared, I would no longer be afraid. But I was wrong. It's up to you, Kirk. You have to figure out who you really are. Man or monster. This is our third meeting, and you still live. If we meet again, that will change. I'm sorry, Mrs. Langstrom. It seems your husband is still missing. I managed to crack Crane's personal files. We're dealing with quite a case here. Explain. For starters, he was born with congenital analgesia, a rare condition that deadens his nervous system. That explains why he apparently doesn't feel pain. According to Hallowell's records, Crane's emotional reactions are heightened as a result of this loss. The body will overstimulate one sense if deprived of another. Apparently, it caused quite a few problems in his youth. He was unable to cope with even the slightest confrontation. His father kept moving them from place to place every time Jonathan suffered an emotional episode. Eventually, they settled on a farm outside Gotham. To be isolated from the rest of the world, no doubt. That was the plan. However, shortly after the disappearance of some local boys, he and his father abandoned the farm to avoid implication. Does it say whether or not Crane confessed to anything? Not directly, but Hallowell felt he might have been repressing a painful memory. Better living through denial. What if Crane grew tired of running? He would have to face his personal problems instead. Fight or flight. He lectured on that just before my... incident. He believes that a person could grow physically stronger from fear. And if that emotion prompted a stability in his own turbulent psyche? He could have developed a lifelong obsession with it. And a craving for it. And now he can satisfy that craving by artificially instilling terror in others. It doesn't stop there. His desire for revenge is just as strong. And as we both know, one act of vengeance only builds the need for more. So, how do you stop a man who feels no pain and no fear? The following day, Bruce Wayne heads to Wayne Enterprises for a meeting. 
He takes the elevator up the top floor, and upon arrival the door opens, and Bruce is stunned when he sees none other than the Scarecrow. The evil villain blocks his exit from the elevator. Hello, Mr. Wayne. Scarecrow then suddenly stretches out his arm toward Bruce and a cloud of smoke sprays out of his sleeve. Bruce coughs and drops to his knees. Scarecrow then reaches into the elevator and presses a button. You're going down. The doors close, leaving Bruce alone in the elevator as the effects of the gas take hold of him. Suddenly, Bruce's mind slips into a vivid hallucination. In his vision, he is walking through the living room of Wayne Manor. His parents, Thomas and Martha Wayne sit on the couch with their backs to him. As he approaches them, they stand and face him. Martha is stunned, dropping her drink to the floor. How'd you get in my house? Mom? Dad? It's me, Bruce. You're not Bruce. Bruce realizes he is now in his costume, clad head to toe in his batsuit. No, look, it's me. He rips off his cowl, but there is another underneath. No. He rips the mask off, but there is yet another, and another. He becomes frantic as the cycle continues. No, no, no! Bruce suddenly comes to in the elevator, crouching on the floor, his clothing in disarray, and covered in sweat. Some time later, Bruce stands on the balcony outside his room in Wayne Manor. He leans against the railing, gazing at Gotham as the sun sets. A visitor appears in the doorway behind him. Bruce, Alfred said you wanted to see me? I've been thinking about what you said before. I have been pushing you away. You, everything else. Crane's pheromones made me realize the only thing that scared me was myself. I haven't known any other life outside of Batman. I was afraid that role would consume my existence. I would grow old and die without ever enjoying a life as Bruce Wayne. So I hung up the Batsuit, but suppressing half of my identity sent the other into a downward spiral. I realized, if I run away from who I am, I'm nothing. It sounds like Crane actually helped you when he intended to hurt you. Dick, before you moved in with me, you were ready to face the world on your own. I prevented that. And since then, I've been running your life. Ultimately, I wanted you to take over as Batman. Wow. There's only one Batman. I could never replace you. In time, you could. With the right education, the right training. But I know now that's not my decision to make. It's yours. You have to choose your own path. Excuse me for interrupting, Master Bruce. There is the rather trivial matter of tonight's university fundraiser. Do you plan to attend? That's it! What? That's where Crane will strike next. All the university bigwigs will be there. Perfect opportunity for revenge. I shall let them know not to expect Bruce Wayne. 
Meanwhile, Scarecrow breaks into Arkham Asylum, violently slaughtering many guards, orderlies, and Dr. Burton with a sickle. The sinister villain retrieves his former patient Jay, and takes him with him as he leaves. Batman and Robin are gearing up in the Batcave. They walk down the steps to the main platform dressed in newly designed suits. Ready? Yeah, I think so. Alfred, what is it? There seems to be a disturbance at Arkham Asylum. Could we be wrong about the university? Arkham also fired him. I'll cover the fundraiser while you check out the asylum. He can't be in both places at once. Are you sure you'll be okay by yourself? You have nothing to fear. The night is still young. Moments later, the Batmobile's engine fires up. Flames shoot out of the rear jet exhaust. The vehicle then takes off down the long tunnel. Go ahead, Robin. I'm in position. No sign of crane at the university. Keep me posted. I'll let you know how things go at Arkham. As the Batmobile approaches Arkham Asylum, Batman switches off the headlights and the vehicle stops on the outskirts of the property, lost amidst the darkness. A bat logo shaped dish rises from the Batmobile and points toward the front lawn of the asylum and starts picking up audio, which Batman listens to. Detective, are all the inmates accounted for? All except one, Commissioner, the Birdman of Arkham. What about maximum security? We're lucky. Who was left untouched? Casualties? Uh, six dead, including Dr. Burton, four others wounded. Dr. Quinzel is in critical condition. Who's responsible? The surveillance cameras reveal someone dressed like a scarecrow. Batman has heard enough as he revs the Batmobile back to life and speeds away. Commissioner Gordon whips around and sees the Batmobile racing away, and a smile crosses his face. It's good to have you back. Robin, it was a diversion. Keep your eyes open for the Scarecrow. Meanwhile, back at the university fundraiser, the crowd applauds as Francine approaches the microphone. Robin observes from the rafters above. Thank you. This year, Gotham State University has seen many monumental achievements. But it's also experienced its share of tragedies. I would like to take this opportunity to observe a moment of silence for the late Dean Howell. A nervous chatter passes through the audience. Confused, Francine turns and sees a figure in a huge pumpkin head and an oversized burlap cloak waltzing behind her around the stage. Its gangly limbs flow, and one hand wields a menacing scythe. The figure then faces Francine, removing the grinning jack-o'-lantern from its head. Underneath is the equally menacing and grinning new face of Jonathan, a patchwork quilt of flesh, held together by stitches and cauterized skin. The face of a living scarecrow. Jonathan! Nice party! In fact, it's a gas! He then throws the pumpkin into the crowd. It smashes against the floor and explodes in an enormous cloud of gas. The crowd succumbs to incredible terror as the gas spreads. Scarecrow goes to the edge of the stage, throws off his cloak, and brandishes his razor-sharp scythe. 
Let the nightmares begin. Up in the rafters, Robin activates his communicator. Batman, he's here. I'm about three minutes out. Robin freezes for a moment, observing the commotion below. Okay, move it, Grayson. You can do this. He opens his eyes, then places a gas mask over his face. Meanwhile, Scarecrow marvels at the sight of the habit. Chaos. Panic. Mayhem. My work here is done. <laughs> Almost. Suddenly, a chair smashes across his body. He falls to the floor, angry but unhurt. Francine hovers over him, wielding a chair. Scarecrow is about to react to Francine's assault when Robin grabs a flare gun from his utility belt and fires it at the overhead sprinklers. The sprinklers go off, raining water onto the terror-stricken crowd and the gas dissipates. Scarecrow spins toward the crowd, seeing the gas and its effects diminishing. Then he is stunned when he sees the sight of Robin, shooting his grappling hook past him and embeds in the wall behind him. Robin slides down the cable toward Scarecrow. The villain uses his scythe to slice through the cable and Robin plunges into the chaos of the crowd. Scarecrow then opens a trap door and hundreds of crazed crows fly out and into the crowd, sending everyone into panic. Some run screaming for the exits, but the doors won't budge as a throng of people pile against them. The villain grabs Francine by the arm with his free hand, the other still holding his weapon. You're last on my list. A loud crash draws Scarecrow's attention to the rafters. It's Manbat. He swoops toward the stage through the sprinklers. His claws outstretched, his teeth gnashing angrily. Scarecrow then pulls Francine in front of him and Manbat quickly withdraws his attack and lands on the stage. Kirk, help me! Kirk? My old friend? I've heard of getting into your work, but it seems you let your work get into you. Manbat lunges, but Scarecrow draws the scythe and places it to Francine's throat. Manbat holds his ground. Meanwhile, as Robin struggles to move through the crowd piled against the double doors, he throws his talon over their heads. It wedges itself in the space between the doors, then pops with a plume of smoke. The doors open and people flood out of the building. Back on the stage, the two opponents circle each other. Scarecrow ends up against the back wall of the stage. Let her go! This is between you and me! No, she is between you and me. He notices the lighting array above Manbat and slices several ropes tied to sandbags. The lighting rig crashes down onto the beast, pinning him to the stage and knocking him unconscious. Kirk? Well, my dear, perhaps you're not to last after all. He pulls Francine backstage as Robin pursues the stage. He goes to Manbat, who is regaining consciousness. The hero lifts the lighting grid off of the creature. A little help, Dr. Langstrom? Where's Crane? Batman's on him. He's my kill! Killing Crane isn't gonna help anything. It won't make the rage or the pain go away. If you go through with it, you'll truly become an animal. Take a good look at me. I have reasons to hate Crane as much as anyone, but- I don't care about you or your reasons. Crane took my wife. We'll stop them together. No, I'll be the monster. For both of us. Manbat then goes airborne, gliding upwards and out the way he came in. Meanwhile, 
Crane has taken Francine outside and covers her mouth with an old rag, and she loses consciousness. He lifts her and drapes her over an enormous black horse, named Nightmare. He then climbs onto the horse himself. Let's go, Nightmare. We have a reunion to plan. He snaps the reins and Nightmare rears and takes off in a cloud of dust. Suddenly, the Batmobile roars into action, pursuing the Scarecrow on horseback as he crests a hill. The vehicle's off-road capabilities are certainly limited. Batman tries to steer, but the terrain makes it difficult for him. He flips a switch and the windshield transforms into a green night vision view. Scarecrow guides Nightmare into a wooded area on a field. The mammoth horse gallops through the dense forest as the Batmobile swerves around the trees. Batman focuses on the horse and rider but soon loses them in the thick fog that bathes the forest and the night vision of the horse vanishes from his windshield. The hero continues in pursuit, deactivating the night vision. As the windshield returns to normal, Batman sees Nightmare in mid-leap. The resulting swish of fog reveals a huge tree directly in the Batmobile's path. Batman's eyes widen beneath the cowl as his vehicle rams into the tree, putting it out of commission. Nightmare completes its leap, and Scarecrow brings it to a halt. He glances behind him. Batman bursts from the fog and lands in a crouch in the low-lying trench. He looks up at Scarecrow, and their eyes lock. Nature, one. Technology, zero. Scarecrow pulls on the reins and Nightmare rears up and bolts away, disappearing into the fog and trees. A short time later, Francine sits upright, tied to a wooden post inside Crane's barn. Scarecrow is looming nearby as Francine begins to wake. What? Where? Jonathan? No! Scarecrow! What are you doing? Let me go! Meanwhile, Batman sprints through the trees, guided by a handheld GPS, which displays a nearby road. Not another one, sir. No time for lectures, Alfred. I need immediate transportation. I believe that has already been arranged. As Batman emerges from the woods and onto a dirt road, headlights crest the hill behind him. The approaching vehicle races up to him and comes to a clean stop, kicking up a cloud of dust. As it settles, the vehicle comes into view. It's a specialized roadster adorned with Robin's logo, the Roadrunner. The driver's side window rolls down, revealing Robin behind the wheel. Need a lift? Where to? I'm not sure. Finding Crane again is like looking for a proverbial needle in a haystack. Maybe not. His father's farm is only a few miles out of town. Perhaps he's heading back to where it all began. Meanwhile, Manbat has also deduced Scarecrow's location by using his advanced level of hearing, tracking Francine's voice back to the barn. He now circles the barn, fluttering around it like a moth around a light. He's preparing to make his move. He arcs into the sky, then dives downward, bursting through the ceiling of the barn. Dry splinters rain down as he glides toward Francine. Scarecrow steps out of the shadows, with a huge cornucopia to his lips. Happy Halloween! 
the sinister villain grabs a handheld torch and holds it over the hay beneath Francine. Nah, not yet. That's good. Apparently you're trainable. Maybe I should make you my pet. I'm going to kill you, Crane. How predatory. You see, Kirk, you have no imagination. All you know is your work. Isn't that right, Francine? <laughs> I, on the other hand, have a vivid imagination. I suppose a childhood like mine would foster such. He touches the stitches on his face, smiling as he does. <laughs> I still owe you one, my friend. But maybe I can just take it out in trade. An angry man bat lunges forth. But Scarecrow stops him short by waving the torch in front of him, keeping him at bay. I mean it! She will die if you don't stay back. And that would be such a waste. I have so many plans for her. I thought I was the monster. Meanwhile, the Roadrunner comes to a stop next to the decrepit fence containing the weathered cornfield. How do we proceed? On foot? Your call. Robin reaches into the vehicle and flips a switch on the Roadrunner's dash. A section pole extends from the vehicle. Smaller grips flip out of it at regular intervals like a trapeze pole. Twin cables shoot from the top of the pole toward the barn. The cables pull tight as the grappling hooks grip the barn. The two heroes climb up the pole, fasten handles to the cable, and hit buttons on the handles. Small jets fire, sending them traveling across the wire. As Robin hovers over the dried corn, a stuffed scarecrow pops up in front of him. He slams into it and falls into the cornfield. Batman reacts to Robin's disappearance, and lets go and drops from the cable. Robin lies on the ground, and opens his eyes to find the stuffed scarecrow on top of him. Gas begins to seep out of the scarecrow's face. Robin throws the scarecrow off him and jumps to his feet, coughing and gagging. Richard. Mom? Why? Why have you done this? Done what? The stuffed scarecrow momentarily morphs into his mom, Mary Grayson, dressed in a flying Grayson's outfit. It then morphs into his dad, John Grayson, also in his acrobatic attire. You knew better than to come. What are you talking about, Dad? The scarecrow then morphs into Alfred. You should have left Robin well enough alone. You're responsible for this. The hallucination of Alfred points to the corn behind him. The stalks part, revealing the dried remains of a human body wearing a tattered bat suit tied to a post with its arms outstretched. No! The real Batman shakes Robin, trying to wake him from his terrifying vision. Robin, it's just a hallucination. It takes Robin a moment before coming to his senses, then calming down. Meanwhile, inside the barn, Scarecrow paces between Man-Bat and Francine, taunting the beast by swinging the torch around Francine. She doesn't have to suffer. I propose an alliance. Why, that gruesome face of yours is a living nightmare. Our union is only natural. Our vows were 
blood made. You're insane. I created you. You were my unexpected weapon of fear. I feel sorry for you. Feel sorry for me? Why, Kirk? It seems that your humanity is returning. You wouldn't know it by looking at you, though. I, I said you had no imagination. Only cowards take hostages. What? What are you afraid of, Jonathan? I'm not afraid of anything. Not anymore. Particularly you. Scarecrow throws the torch at Manbath, who squeals and knocks it against the wall, extinguishing the flames. The villain then draws his pitchfork and threatens Manbat with it. The beast growls and forms a fighting stance. They circle each other. Out of fear you were created. By fear you will die. Meanwhile, in the cornfield, Batman tries to comfort Robin. Are you sure you're up to this? No, but it's time I faced him. If I don't, then the fear will be in control. And he will have won. There's one other thing. I don't think I could stand losing you like I lost my parents. I don't plan to go away anytime soon. Batman forms a reassuring smile, then the two heroes head for the barn. Inside the barn, Scarecrow and Manbat battle. Scarecrow rolls as Manbat flies over him. Scarecrow throws his pitchfork, pinning Man-Bat to the wall by his wing. The sinister villain leaps to his feet and throws another farm utensil at the beast before he can free himself. It punctures through the other wing, immobilizing him. Scarecrow approaches Man-Bat, sniffing the air as he brandishes a machete. The smell of your fear even overcomes your animal stench. Perhaps I can relieve you of those pesky wings. Suddenly, a flying batarang knocks the machete out of his hands. Scarecrow spins around to Batman at the far end of the barn. Move away from him, Crane. I see you made it through my maze. You're throwing away everything you've achieved. Your practice, your education, your life. Those things were taken from me! Be responsible for your own actions. There is help available. You of all people should know that. Where? At Arkham? I know what goes on behind those walls. You don't know me. How could you understand? I was once like you. We were both created by fear and consumed by vengeance. But I chose a different path. I devoted my life to helping people as you once did, Doctor. Don't call me that. I am no longer Jonathan Crane. I am the sower of men's fears. I am the Scarecrow. Jonathan Crane is still part of you. I see your crony. He motions to Robin, who was attempting to sneak by and free Francine. Say hello to mine. Scarecrow's henchman, Jay, his former test subject from Arkham, drops from the rafters on top of Robin. His body covered in feathers. Scarecrow unslings his razor-sharp scythe and threatens Batman. The caped crusader hits a button on his belt and flexible, metallic armor envelopes the Batsuit. How appropriate! Scarecrow versus the Tin Man! Then, two glorious battles ensue.
one between the Birdman and Robin, and another between the blade-yielding Scarecrow and a metallic battle-ready Batman. Both adversaries put up an impressive fight against the heroes. The Birdman proves to be a powerful opponent, landing several brutal hits on Robin while Scarecrow attacks, swinging his blade violently at Batman. Robin finally begins to gain the advantage as his acrobatic skills are too quick for his foe. He throws his talon into the rafter striking a grain spout, which pours onto Jay, burying him and putting him out of commission. Meanwhile, Batman has taken the offensive, battling against his opponent, but Scarecrow's agility helps him avoid serious injury or capture. The villain then grabs a rope hanging from the ceiling and slices through a second rope. He quickly rises into the rafters. Batman fires his grappling hook and flies upward in pursuit. However, Scarecrow slices through his cable mid-air, sending the hero hurtling downward and crashing through the floor and into the basement. Don't you just love the fall? <laughs> Meanwhile, Man-Bat's features contort, and more and more human features become visible. He pulls his receding wings from their stakes and drops to the floor, writhing in agony. Scarecrow dives from the rafters, landing before Man-Bat. The game's not over, Kirk. What a pleasant surprise! And what appropriate timing! Scarecrow then tips over one of the torches, and it falls into the hay, which ignites and spreads toward Francine. Time for your trial by fire! Who shall you choose, me? The defenseless object of your rage and vengeance? Or her? The burning love of your life? Are you man enough to decide? Manbat rises and spreads his dilapidated wings. There's just enough monster left. He springs towards Scarecrow, but just misses him. Instead, he heads for Francine, racing against the fire spread. Perching on the stake, he slashes Francine's bonds and lifts her away from the fire. He carries her across the barn toward a distant opening. But Manbat convulses again his wings withering away. He and Francine drop to the ground as his transformation continues. Kirk! Oh my god! Kirk! Man-Bat looks up at her, then his eyes roll back, and he loses consciousness. Meanwhile, Batman crawls out from underneath the debris of his fall. Glowing embers rain down onto him from the ceiling. Smoke pours in through the holes, cracks, and seams. The fire is blazing out of control, surrounding Kirk and Francine. She drags her unconscious husband, who is now back to his human form, across the floor when a flaming rafter crashes to the ground, blocking their way. The Dark Knight suddenly appears, and deactivates his armored suit. How is he? He'll be better when we get out of this inferno. Agreed. If you've got something on that belt that can get us out of here, use it! Batman reacts, shooting a grappling hook to the ceiling. The hero successfully lifts the three of them to the roof, on which they quickly scramble across as it caves around them. Batman pulls a canister from his utility belt and throws it to the ground. It explodes and inflates into a large airbag. Ready? Kirk and Francine nod, then Batman grabs hold of them and jump, landing safely in the airbag, which deflates upon impact. 
Robin proceeds through the inferno, as pieces of the floor disappear around him. Before he knows it, he finds himself face to face with Scarecrow, and Robin freezes. I see the better bird one. What's that smell? Fear? From the boy Wonder? Wait a minute. I recognize that smell. Ever the loner, aren't you, Mr. Grayson? Where's your partner? Maybe he abandoned you. Or worse. What will you do now? I guess I'll take his place. Robin lands a powerful kick into Scarecrow's stomach, which sends him flying back and slamming hard into a burning wall. Robin bravely approaches Scarecrow with a new resolve. You don't scare me anymore. How unfortunate. You can't destroy me. Without pain, how do you appreciate healing? That's the irony, Doctor. Despite your best intentions, the suffering you caused actually brought about healing. Your theories were half right. My fear did make me stronger, but only after I faced it. Even though I'd love to see you dead, I think you'd be better served in Arkham. What's the difference? What are you afraid of, Doctor? Time to reap what I've sown. Scarecrow extends his hand. As Robin reaches to help him, he notices something palmed in Scarecrow's fist. Robin grabs his adversary's wrist and twists his arm back towards his face, and a cloud of pheromone gas erupts from his hand, striking Scarecrow full on in the face. The villain hunches over, coughing and gagging, and flames spread across the floor between the two opponents. Scarecrow drops to the floor in a cowering position. He hallucinates his father, Mr. Crane, with a pitchfork in hand, towering over him. Boy! You can't let people terrorize you your whole life. Mr. Crane thrusts the pitchfork into the ground. Scarecrow stares at it and a smile crosses his face. You know what you must do. Fear can't rule you. After your mother passed away, I was scared to raise you by myself. But like a man, I faced it and I didn't let it best me. You have to do the same. But they hurt me. I want to hurt them back. Don't concern yourself with those boys. Revenge will only consume you. Let it go, son. Let it go. He reaches out to hug his son, but then Mr. Crane vanishes and the barn returns to its present condition. Robin watches from the other side of the wall of fire. Scarecrow walks toward him and stops at the flames. They stare at each other. I know what I must do. No! Scarecrow passes his arm through the fire, which spreads up his sleeve. He examines his burning arm, then smiles at Robin as the flames engulf him. The roof crashes down around Robin, obscuring Scarecrow from his sight. He searches for an exit with no luck. The walls crumble and fall toward him. Robin flips a switch on his utility belt. Outside the barn, Batman pulls Kirk and Francine to a safe distance away from the burning structure as it starts to collapse. Robin! He runs toward the barn as something erupts from the blazing timber and arcs through the air toward him. Robin drops to the ground, wrapping in his smoldering cape. He throws it off and twin pods on both sides of his belt emit their last bits of exhaust. Robin, are you okay? I'm sorry I left you back there. It's about time I took care of myself. Crane, 
think we've seen the last of it? Maybe, but like he once said, fear is eternal. Batman and Robin join Kirk and Francine as they watch the remains of the barn burn to embers. A few days later, Francine wakes up in her bed. She is all alone except for Valerie, who lies at her feet. She climbs out of bed, and sees Kirk outside on the balcony. He is back to normal. She walks up to him and touches his shoulder. Anxious to fly again? Eh, flying's for animals, not men. To me, there was only the man. But... It took the monster to make me realize how much I love you. I brought you something. Your hearing aid. <laughs> Funny thing, I don't need it anymore. In the driveway back at Wayne Manor, Bruce and Alfred wait next to a motorcycle. Dick Grayson exits the house, dressed for travel with a packed bag. He affixes the bag to the motorcycle and faces Bruce. Are you sure you want to do this? Someone once told me I need to find out who Dick Grayson is apart from Robin. Bruce, I'm honored that you felt I could ever replace you. Maybe one day when you're truly ready to retire. But you were right. I need to find my own path. It has been a true pleasure having you in this household, son. Thanks, Al. I appreciate everything you've done for me. May all your adventures be rewarding. What about you, Bruce? You gonna be alright? Yeah. I think Batman has a few good years left in him. And so does Bruce Wayne. I'll miss you. Stay out of trouble. Ah, you know me. Commissioner Gordon enters his office at police headquarters. Upon entering, he notices an open window. A shaft of moonlight illuminates a box on his desk. He opens it. Inside is a red cell phone with the Bat logo on it. Gordon rushes to the window and gazes out. It's another dark night in Gotham City. On the peak of one skyscraper, a silhouette crouches, veiled by the shadow. Its eyes and chest emblem pierce the darkness. A cape flutters in the breeze. Gotham City's protector has returned. A crow flies past Batman and glides down the side of the building, around fire escapes and signs, to the street below. It passes by a clothing shop, a quaint hole in the wall establishment. No lights are on. Behind the window, a hand pulls down a shade. A light comes on, revealing the silhouette of a small man in a large top hat. Something is just beginning 